Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. As always, I'm Sean M. Thompson. And I'm Brian O'Connell. And on the episode today, we're going to be discussing the Snowtown Murders, also known as Snowtown in Australia, a 2011 film directed by Justin Kurtzel, written by Sean Grant and Justin Kurtzel, based off books by Debbie Marshall and Andrew McGarry, with a Great score by Jed Kurtzel, and uh, it is starring Lucas Pitaway, Daniel Henshaw, Louis Harris, Bob Adrians, and others. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, uh, yeah, so I guess to start this episode, I, I have a general question that I'd like to, to pose. Um Okay. What is Australia's problem? I mean, like, I feel I've seen so many Australian films, or at least heard about so many Australian films, where it's just the most hyper-violent, bleak, you know, grim, grimmest thing you could imagine, like, you know, whether it's... I mean... Yeah, go ahead. I don't want to be a dick about it, but it is... Australia was formed basically as a penal colony right like they took prisoners and brought them so it was basically like english and irish people that were forced to live in like the worst heat imaginable right with the most violent vicious animals in vicinity yeah and all the while uh, the british army carrying out like literal genocide against uh aboriginal populations which is you know that that i mean obviously most all colonial countries have you know a history of um racial violence but um in this case i mean australia's is relatively recent i guess maybe yeah i mean i can speak to this somewhat as an irish person i'm sure you can as well Mm -hmm. there's a lot of violence among the irish right just picture taking the irish (laughs) from ireland and putting them in australia Right. Before they knew anything about Australia. Right, yeah. It's very, very hot. You're not designed for this kind of climate. Um, Yeah, no. You've got the British, like, breathing down your neck. It's, um... Like, you suddenly have to deal with these snakes that will just... You'll just die. Spiders, you'll just die. Crocodiles or alligators, sharks. And it's like... Like, the thing about the 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 uh you know people who were sent there is oftentimes it was literally for relatively minor offenses like theft in ireland could get you sent to australia because they didn't want to pay for prisons yeah, here I'm not, also i mean yeah. I, I might be over exaggerating i'm not trying to say that everybody was like a vicious person no, no, and no. that's why but it's, i think it's just yeah it, i don't know man there's just something about australia where they just don't give a shit we just like, yeah, don't care. <laughs> it's a it's a harsh land, and uh, Snowtown, the film we're talking about today, certainly exemplifies harshness. I mean, this is. I, mean, uh, I think what I like about this film. Um, so I listened to a short interview with Justin Kurtzel on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see if I can link it to you. I might have already. Oh. Okay. And they asked him, you know, what made you want to do this? Because this is one of the most notorious uh, cases in Australia's history. And he said, well, you know, I had, I had never thought I would tackle anything like this, but 
Uh, my producer was like, hey, I have this script I'd like you to read. And he didn't say anything else. And I saw the script and the front just said Snowtown. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. So I read through it, though, and he was like, what I was struck by was how it seemed like a like a relatively normal Australian suburb, like right. a lot of the pop culture things that they were, um, you know, watching or right. things they were listening to or things they were doing. Like, they were all things that he was used to. And he grew up like 20 minutes away from uh, Snowtown. Mm hmm. So he said there was just sort of this fascination of like, because like some of the murders and they show this in the movie, they happen during the day, like just in residential neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, the thing about this is what I was surprised by, right, is that so I hear this talked about a lot as like a study of psychopathy or of, you know, of murder and crime and it is all of those things naturally but what i was surprised by is that this does feel like i mean it's somewhat subtle in some ways and not so subtle in other ways but it does feel like almost political as a film and it does seem to be commenting not just on the cases of this murder but on uh, or a series of murders uh, if you don't know what happened at Snowtown, it was, you know, a serial killer. Uh, but um, but basically the political conditions in Australia and these various sort of social factors that allowed the, the murders to happen, um, or maybe not allowed is the right word, but um, the, the, the sort of preconditions and attitudes in society that you know, enabled this to go on for several years, which I believe it did. It was like what the snow, I'm checking it right now, but the Snowtown murders were committed between 1992 and 1999. So that's a long time for... Yeah, I mean, I didn't even, I guess I didn't even realize that, you know, from the film, they obviously have that, they go through the whole period. It's just, yeah, they're... What this film does well is it knows exactly where to go, right? Um, to make it almost to make it as disturbing as possible, right? right um, right. because I think if you had gone with like showing every murder, eventually yeah. you would have got burnt out and got used to it. Okay, so yeah, what was I talking about? Yeah, you were talking about how you know showing the murders versus not right, showing. right, right. Okay, so um, I think if they had shown every murder. There are plenty of films like that, and you by like Murder Three, it's no longer that. It's still disturbing, but it's it. You get used to it, which right. is terrible to say, but you do. You get used no, to it. Yeah, which which can be a purposeful effect that the desensitization. But I don't think that's what this film is going for. No, I don't think it was going for that. Alternately, if you show nothing, it's still a taut, effective um, crime film or thriller. But there might be that distance of like, well, I never actually saw any of it. So you yeah. don't have that sort of stark visual. Yeah, it, it doesn't become as real for you. Well, I mean, I guess it, it could in the hands of a really skilled director. But if you don't see anything, then it might be, you know, I don't know. It's a little less uh, palpable or visceral, I guess, in this case. Um, where yes, this... but Snowtown, Snowtown knows exactly exactly what to do in that line of like we're going to take you right to here and pull back 
and we're gonna take you right to here and pull back. We're gonna hint at this, and then we're just gonna show like the harshest murder you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's it's a very well crafted film, and the interesting thing is that. You know, I would read... So, the thing about this is a sort of directly chronological plot summary is going to be a little tricky because, as I noticed watching this film the first time, and as other reviewers noticed, but a lot of people tend to interpret this as a negative, which I don't. I'm just saying that it ha- it is a part of the film's design. Um, there are many, like sort of gaps or elisions in the narrative and what the film shows that can make the first half especially feel a little sort of hazy and confusing. Like, you know, I even an hour in, I was still sometimes struggling to place, you know, okay, that name to that person or what's their relationship or, you know, these various... um details of the characters' relationships to each other, or how much time had passed, or when a specific, you know, progression had occurred. Um, But I think that's intentional. I feel like the film does generate this sort of, um, like, impressionistic haze of, of a story where it's not always necessarily clearly drawing a line in terms of, like, plot beats, but it's it's sort of evoking the atmosphere of this town this this like this world which is an exceptionally bleak and you know gloomy one yeah i mean the world building in this is it's weird to say world building in relation to a place that did exist does exist yeah and in a time period that has passed but it's it's uh it's just phenomenal world building. Like yeah. you get Deeply. a sense of the town, you get a sense of how kind of it seems nice enough, but there's sort of a scuzzy quality to it. Like it's a bit run down. Yeah. Well, it's okay. So it's, it's not actually set in Snowtown because the murders didn't actually occur. Right. Okay. In yeah. That's a good clarification. Mo- I, I think the majority of the murders didn't occur in Snowtown. They occurred in a town near it. Yeah, it was uh, in in Adelaide. You know, like this this sort of, I, I believe it was slightly north. And then the bodies were stored in like an abandoned bank vault in Snowtown. But yeah, it, this is in. I want to say this is South Australia. Yeah, it's uh, which is check. actually which I hadn't realized. Australia is so big that South Australia is actually considered like a separate, um, well, obviously part of Australia, but like yeah, South Australia. It's more of an official like it's term. a state. It's yeah, considered it's a, state. a state. Um, and it covers some of the most like arid and lonely parts of the country. It's so basically, it's it's basically you know, Adelaide is the capital city, right? And this film is set in the sort of outlying suburbs of the capital right like you know far out from the main bustle and it's clearly uh i i don't want to say impoverished but you know it's it's sort of a very lower class neighborhood yeah i mean i i don't i realize i probably shouldn't throw this term around so much but it seems a little white trash yeah, that's a 
It's a complicated term, but it is, uh, you know, it, I guess but, that... I mean, okay, so yeah, it's it's a poor... It's not, like, destitute, but it's... The vibe is very, like, junked-out cars and people hanging out on their front stoop smoking cigarettes yeah. and people riding their motorcycle on the street with their kids on the back. Yeah, very sort of down and out. It's, you know, so the interesting thing, and I think this really really helps um basically outside of the actor who plays john bunting and then another actor um like in a in a smaller part um all of the actors in this film are untrained uh non-professionals from the area in which the film is set so in this case that would be you know apparently it was mostly Devoren Park um, which is a sort of northern suburb and it's considered one of the most you know violent and uh, you know I don't I don't want to use the word dysfunctional but basically you know, according, I'm I'm just reading this off Wikipedia, but it says it's a place where emergency vehicles fear to go without a police escort. So, All you right, know, that's fair. So Lucas Pitaway, the main actor, was actually untrained. Yeah, no, all of them except Daniel Henshaw as John Bunting, and I think the guy who plays Barry, who is the you know, uh, sort of, I think he's like, again, I'm struggling to place the names, but, or, or names to the faces, but, uh, yeah, the guy who plays the sort of cross-dresser, he's oh, a professional yes, yes, actor, okay. but everybody um, else is, including, I was surprised, like the mother, the, the, she seems like such really? a, yeah, she's you such know, a, I was about to say what I think this film does well is I, I made the statement on, I forget which episode, the Snowtown is like, when you think of grimy, like, that's Snowtown. Yeah. The film, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, and they they do a good job of, first of all, <clears throat> I don't think, other than maybe some of the women, most people don't have any kind of makeup or concealer. No. So it's like, you get things you don't typically get they not even just Hollywood films, but films in general, like, yeah. you know, acne and pockmarks and bad teeth. Well, bad yeah. teeth, it's just a British you know, thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's good to see those, though. It, to see... But it, it add, yeah, it adds a level of um, authenticity. Realism. Yeah. You don't, you don't want... Um you know movie star actors in a movie like this you want you want a sense of like what life is actually like in those places with i'm actually really surprised that uh the actor that played jamie was not professional yeah this was his first movie he'd never acted before um i mean jesus christ talk about a (laughs) fucking first role yeah and this is the director's first feature film so it's yeah that's true quite an considering it's a first film for the actor and a first film for the director, like this is insanely good. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable film. I mean, it's um, it's it's extremely well done. I I want to talk about the visual texture because you said you know grimy, right? And I feel like the whole aesthetic it's it's very beautiful to look at actually, but it does communicate that sense of sort of a. Uh, dirtiness or gr- well first grungy. of all nearly everyone is chain smoking 
Yeah, everybody's chain smoking. Um, and you have inside this, and out. I should add. Yeah, you have this like. I don't know if it was shot on film, but there's this heavy film like grain over everything. So it's like, you know, this like thick sort of particles and like fuzziness to the image. There's a lot of uh, it's you know, I find that movies when they're trying to be dramatic can slip too easily into just yeah i was gonna say i forget which film before but i remember there was one you didn't like because you didn't like the saturation yeah something about uh i don't know there was something i forget which one now but it's like there are movies that just apply a flat like blue tint you know just to make it look sad or whatever but in this case it's clearly the i mean the color effects are applied but it looks really rich and film-like. It doesn't look digital. It looks, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of turn because I actually didn't find out if it was film or digital. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. Um, I guess I'll look it up. But I would it's, assume digital because isn't film very expensive? Yeah, no, it's probably digital, but. Um, they made it look like film, you know what I mean? They definitely, like the, yeah, no, I mean, the cinematography is great. It's not It's not a polished, you know, digital smoothed out movie. It's very, like, sort of uh, grungy and thick and, you know, these... And you talked about, so I was noticing, you know, before this, you described watching it as, like... Uh, you said de- it was poetic. Uh, you said descending into like a frozen hell. And in the first scenes, it that's what it feels like because it has this like icy color palette, just like these. Well, I think that, I mean, I understand stylistically why they chose to do that because Australia, obviously incredibly sunny, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, it's it's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I think if it if they hadn't done something to saturate the color and it was just this really bright sunshine, it would have had a very different effect. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's and they needed not... a way to sort of like tint the sunshine and you know the landscape in such a way that it sort of mimicked the coldness of the th- thematic concerns. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, it's the good thing is that a lot of Australian people oddly enough that i was reading anyway liked the film in terms of just providing like a more realist image of australia than you usually get in film in terms of that you know it's not a picture postcard vision of australia and neither is it it's neither like it's not totally you know dehumanizing or bleak it's just sort of this harsh reality but it gives you a different angle of yeah like i that's what i like about i know i had mentioned before mr in between that's what i like about that show is it's an mm-hmm. australia or it's a suburb outside of i think perth but they actually yeah. show you know like this is a suburb this is the supermarket like these are the strip club like you know more of a normalized sort of this is a city in australia thing as opposed to Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff we get in America that's about Australia is like, 
the bushmate and you know just it's all in yeah. like the remote wilderness and it's like that's not most australians I don't yeah think. no 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 uh so wait i just want to add that i looked it up and it actually was shot on film it was shot on 16 millimeter was so, it? all right well yeah, so good for them there you go um because they said that um there's this sort of uh and you do you see it very palpably but there are a lot of subtle light sources and they're natural light like a lot of the time it's not that they set up uh lighting fixtures it's just whatever light was in the room um to give it sort of a verite like texture and basically those little sort of slivers of light and uh those nuances were better picked up on 16 millimeter than on yeah digital. no i was gonna say it's hard to you can make it look like 16 millimeter or you know you can put the effects on digital but you can you the i can still usually tell yeah there's a yeah. christmas uh, not a christmas <laughs> crispness to yes. it that yeah. you just can't uh always yeah. get rid of yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's it's good but anyway i mean so the first accepting well i guess we should talk about the first shot a little but like after the first shot it is a it's got an almost like observational feel like you see these like teen boys like just like kicking their bikes around and i think before that i would like to mention because it's one of my favorite scenes in the film and i did want to ask you so there's this shot that um loops in the very beginning is this green uh field with this Mm -hmm. fence along it and you get a shot that looks like it's coming from a car or train and you hear uh jamie have his opening monologue and the score cuts in where he says i keep having this dream and there's Mm -hmm. a man in my house and he's got a hat on and i can't see his face and i hear this yapping and then i look and his throat is slit and it looks like a mouth and there's a chihuahua in his Mm -hmm. neck yeah very very and i think strange. it's just a, such a brilliant way of like the thing about snowtown is it's disturbing all the way through but some of the stuff that's the most disturbing it has nothing to do with the murders or right. even stuff that should be disturbing it's just a seemingly normal thing and you're like why right. is this so creepy i don't understand yeah. yeah i mean it's i find this scene interesting too because and again, this is something, so I find that a lot of the times what people criticize this film for are actually part of what makes it strong for me. But this this opening sequence is actually the closest we get to Jamie's inner experience, in a sense, because he doesn't ever talk that much again in the film. Like, no, no. He says that, and then for most of the rest of the film... He's just sort of a mute, mumbly sort of mask, you know, like you can't really get into I mean, the actor does such a great job because he he's able to convey all of the terror and the sadness and the anger yeah. mostly through facial expressions. Yeah, and subtle movements and everything. And but also like again, I feel like and this is true of serial killers in general, but also in this film especially also just sort of the fundamental opacity deep down or like there's this you get the sense that you can so like i was reading about um 
John Bunting and his past, right? And there yeah. are things there are things in his past that you could point to as explanations for what he did, but at the same time there's something really fundamentally elusive about serial killers and like well why would you why would you do this thing? Like not not right, even from because there is this thing that people like to do and I've done a lot of research so I know. Mm-hmm. People like to go, "Oh, well, you were abused." Right. Or you were in the war, or I don't know something you were born this and this wrong and this, and you had tortured animals. But like, it doesn't always add up because if everyone that was abused became a serial killer, there'd be like hundreds of thousands of serial killers. Right. Right. I mean, there. Even... And if, alternately, if everyone who was in the war was a serial killer, same thing. And even people who have violent thoughts or desires, you know, like... Something, usually that'll just be, like, at worst, like, you know, a bad beating to someone that yeah. they might go to jail for. But, like, they usually don't kill someone, at least intentionally. So there's something mysterious at the root of it as to why... And it isn't even, like, obviously there's a heavy moral component, but even beyond moral questions, it's like there's something sort of inexplicable about about murdering somebody i mean it's really it's it's really it's it's like it's it's sort of i mean in some situations it's obvious but in other situations like the snowtown story it's it's much less obvious um as to why fundamentally somebody would commit such heinous crimes but but anyway we should i guess we should so again i mean there's not much to we we could go through the scenes. Yeah, we but could I try fi- to go chronologically, but there's not. I find that the scenes really blend with each other in a good way, in a way that feels fluid. And you know, uh, in in the case of Snowtown, it's it's kind of dread-inducing and you know menacing. Yeah, but... I mean, I do think it's important to go through the kind of bullet points, though. Yeah. So basically, we're introduced to this family. It's a single mother, or well, a divorced mother. Right. Uh, with her it's three children, right? Or four. Yeah, th- three. I don't think Troy, the oldest, is present at the start of the film, if okay. I'm remembering I mean, correctly. So she does have four children, but we're in- immediately introduced to three. Uh, yeah. Jamie being the oldest, and the other two whose names I completely blank on. But, yeah. you know, younger kids. Younger. One of them might be special needs. Yeah, I think that is implied that uh he's like i don't know special it gets more overt later in the film but yeah 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 um and basically she has this boyfriend um and she leaves the kids with the boyfriend to for him to to babysit um because she has to visit her ex and in the first of several uh, confrontational <laughs> sequences we get in the film, uh, we it's it's framed in a very eerie way. We see a brief um, pseudo montage of the boys being, you know, you know, naked or semi naked, and photos being taken while an off screen voice instructs them like on positions and things yeah who have been instead that we know that it's the babysitter who's the neighbor yeah yeah we know that it's the babysitter but it's it's a menacing sequence precisely because the nature of the perspective 
you're right, having it's just his the POV perspective of the person taking the pictures, and it's it's a really genius transition because it goes from like he's making them pasta, and he's like, "How is that?" And they're like, "Good." And he's just you know small chat, and then we just right. immediately cut to one of them like in their underwear, and he's like, "All right, right lift your hands above your head." And right, flash. And you see the flash. Yeah, it's very so. And it's having a, no warning for that, I think, is a lot. It hits a lot harder. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's it's very. Um, it sort of mimics, you know, like what the kids would feel because it is right. like one minute they're eating pasta, and the next it's like they're getting. Yeah, the sort of shock, like just stumbling directly into it. And without... you know, I could see shitty people going, "Well, why would they even do that? Why would they agree to that?" And it's like, well, it's an adult. I mean, but they... that's not. People who say that don't understand how sexual abuse or violence, for that matter, work. I mean, the thing is, I see a lot of people asking why Jamie would do certain things across this film. Right. right? I'm sure a lot of people and, you know, admittedly, even myself, there were times where I was like, why don't you just leave? But it's never that easy. Where is he going to go? He doesn't seem to have a job. He doesn't seem to have any other friends, really. Right. He's, you know, really attached to his younger brothers. So if he leaves, he's basically just leaving them for chum. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, and we'll, not we'll to talk mention about his it. mother. Yeah. Not to mention his, yeah. Well, that, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. But, but basically, it is an unsettling sequence precisely because it, you know, you're put in the seat of the abuser in this case. You know, you're not, um, you're not, you're not aligned with the the perspective of the victims. You're aligned with the perspective of the abuser. No, and that is that is a through line for most of the film. Yeah, which is yeah, it's it's very like you know Hanukkah or or Sala in that way. And and then they cut, and the guy's just completely naked. Yeah, sitting back, going back to sit at the kitchen table. Yeah, I don't. So it could be implied that actual like uh well not actual because obviously what we've already seen is actual but i you know i knowing the case i think he probably molested them yeah it's it's very it's heavily implied um but the thing is you know it's it's very um i i just had something to say about this scene but it's, it's slipping through oh yeah basically i think this sequence which you know, has been critiqued as like oh, try hard or provocative is actually like a neat little summation of the overall themes of the film in that, you know, I mean, the thing is, I don't think it's try hard. It's almost like documentary style. I mean, there's no, they sort of cut the music and there's no, what I love about this film is the cinema verite is the documentary style yeah. i mean it's yeah. not it's not right. like flashy camera angles it's very like handheld like there's yeah. nothing glamorous about it right which i mean like i know it It reminds me so like we talked i would say that along with irreversible this is like the harshest film we've discussed on this podcast yeah I... honestly i think pound for pound this was harder for me to rewatch than irreversible because mm. at least irreversible has certain stylistic qualities that allow you to somewhat distance yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the At thing least is... later on and in between. But this, th- there's just no distance. No. I mean, so, but the thing is, like, so people would say about Irreversible, oh, he included a 10-minute rape scene for no reason, right? Which is foolish, because 
it is highly purposeful and right. it is that's like the whole conceit of the and, film is it works I, its way around that i see people saying that about this scene in snowtown like but why are we seeing this what what is these people you need to think harder in terms of the this scene to me obviously first off it's you know the banality of evil right, right. so like one minute it's he's literally making the guy next door yeah, it's the guy next door, the guy across the street, he's making you dinner, and then the next second it's it's molestation, and then he's going right back to dinner, just sitting down at the table. And then furthermore, I find that in in relation to the maybe more social or political aspect of this film, I find that the juxtaposition of like family life specifically with this sort of brutal violence is very telling because it comes to echo what we see with John Bunting later in the film in terms of how he's a family man and also extremely violent and uh, abusive and ultimately murderous but but I guess we should we should yeah, just keep I mean, moving I, I guess what strikes me about the film, and yeah, like you said, some of it sort of, a lot of it blurs together. Right. Um, well, the example that I was thinking of, one of the main examples, is that in the next scene, we see the mother at home, right? With the children. And ultimately, the scene concludes with her storming out the door and beating up the guy across the street saying, what have you done to my kids, right? But you don't actually see the... Like, for example, like, you don't see her discover the photographs. You don't see her, you know, you don't see when she finds out about the abuse. You see her before the abuse, and then you see her after she's after already... After the abuse, and yeah. yeah, I think when I bring up that it's, like, documentary style, I really mean that, like, it's yeah. filmed in such a way where you don't get to see... It is, like, whoever you know, whoever's filming and showed up at the day, they get what they get. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, the the way that that works in this case is it, all, it also suggests, like, a sense of stasis in a way. Like, you don't see her... You don't see her at the point of trauma where she finds out and it changes her forever that this Yeah, is I part. mean, a lot of this film, what it wisely does is it... It shows after the fact. So this is yeah. after the fact. So it's already it's, after... it's almost a jump scare because you don't realize she knows yet. She's trying to be normal at the dinner table or, yeah, she's making, I think, breakfast. Yeah. She yeah, said, yeah. you want some more eggs? How are the eggs? And she's... And then <clears throat> you see her just, like, snap and oh, just haul ass across the way and start like beating the shit out of the neighbor. Right. Yeah, and it's I think it serves to really immerse you in like possibly like a deeper atmosphere of trauma than than you might have gotten with like you know, at least you're journeying with the characters when you if you see her find the photos or whatever, but in this situation it's like people have always are always in pain, but like already in pain, like perpetually in pain, you know? You don't see the except in one very memorable scene, which we'll talk about later, but um most of the time it's like the violence has already been dealt and everybody's just wounded and walking. I mean, it's, in a way, it's almost like 
a haunted house story about a non-haunted house. Yeah. Because you notice with this scene also, they could have gone over across the street all the way and shown her close up. They don't. They kind of stop at the threshold of the house. So you're getting the perspective of the kids looking out at the neighbor from their house. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that this, according to Kurzel, the original screenplay by Sean Grant had, um, I think this is such a great change that he made. Um, the original screenplay had, like, police scenes and stuff, like, scenes with the police, right? Yeah. And this film just, it excises anything about the outside world, really, <coughs> outside of these three boys and, and, uh, I think John it was Benton. a very wise choice because yeah. by not showing the police and not having this outside presence, you get the sense of how actually insular it was. Yeah. And how and, something like this could have happened. Yeah. The limits of this world, no sense of, reliable you know uh, i mean they already they talk about a little later like mm -hmm. i called the cops and he went to jail for like a day and then was out on bail yeah yeah it's and that's another thing i like is and i know it's the real case but like it gets so fucking morally gray because near the Mm. beginning you're like well he's a child molester that's bad yeah and you think i mean i personally thought I mean, maybe he deserves to die. I don't think you should kill him. Right. I just think, you know, well, child molesters probably talk... deserve to die. That's not me saying kill them, but... Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But let's talk... I mean, so let's talk about certain scenes, because I actually find that really interesting in relation to the film's overall project, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, yeah. So basically... And this is another weird elision, right? We don't exactly see how the mother, Elizabeth, meets John Bunting. Yeah, it's sort of like one day he's not there, and then the next, you know, he's across the street revving his motorcycle in front of the child molester's house, and then he's yeah. just in their house making them breakfast. Yeah. It's I find that so eerie, and it it's just that he just sort of materializes in their life like but again we don't... i think what the film does is it puts you in jamie's perspective and i think that's what some of the sort of time skips and things are yeah. all about because if you were jamie then you were mostly from his pov mm-hmm. it would be like there's just a random man in my house now yeah. i have no idea who this yeah. is because you don't get to see the scene where your mom meets him yeah, yeah 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 i i like that i really do like that sort of uh you know i think impressionism is the right word where it's like it's almost a deliberately blurry film in some ways where so much is out of focus or uh just elided or or suggested but it gives this sense of it works as a sense of dread and also accurate to what it would be like as assumedly to an extremely insular community and especially, you know, the POV of a, you know, scatterbrained teenage boy. Yeah, I where think it, even more to the point, it reflects Jamie's trauma. Right. Because people right. that have gone through heavy, and this poor kid, I mean, this is a real person too. Yeah. I cannot he, believe, like, the shit this kid had to go through. Yeah. I mean, you feel bad for him, despite despite what he did i mean the things he's in 
he's get as the end title tells us he's getting out of prison in four years um and he'll uh, be 45 yeah he'll but be I think, 45 which is i think heavy. what the film does well and it reminds me of jack ketchum's the girl next door i still need to read that <laughs> yeah i haven't actually read it but i've heard it's, i know oh. i've seen the film but it it wisely what it does is it takes this very um disturbing case and instead of putting you directly into the POV of the killer or into the POV of the victims, it gives you this side character that is seemingly innocent, but is forced to watch and be complicit. And it makes right. things, again, very morally gray because you're not the killer and you're not the victim. You're somewhere in right. between. You're like this relatively passive and then slowly becoming more active participant. Yeah, which I do think has super interesting political connotations. But so I want to talk about um, the sequences at the neighborhood watch where they're all around the table and they're talking and John is there, right? Because that's where we start to see this really unique angle to I don't see this sort of thing often in serial killer movies. No, but, no. Because serial killers. Um, yeah, I in guess it's movies. a bit abnormal in that usually serial killers are people that cannot uh, blend socially successfully, and they're loners, and they're just sort of weird. Yeah, they're antisocial figures. Not um, all of them, by the way. I would no, not I would all. add there are people like Ted Bundy, who was very charismatic, who was able right. to be a lawyer and right, have right, a lot right. of girlfriends, or BTK had a kind of full time job, and he just seemed like a boring dad. Right, right, right. But we see, so we see John at this meeting, and we see they're talking about pedophilia and child abusers, and, you know, people there are saying, oh, yeah, I'd, like, slice his dick off, or, like, you know, shoot him, or, like, all of these... Yeah, I believe there's an overweight woman who says, I would put a a rat in a tube on his dick. Yeah. And she also says she'd, like, skin his dick. Yeah, stuff like... But there's a lot of that, like... You know, that false bravado, like, I'd chop his head off, I'd fucking stab right, him and right, bury right. him. And... But it, it reflects, you know, I mean, so I do see, I know people have those feelings, right? Because pedophilia... Oh, I have those feelings. I'll yeah. say shit like that sometimes. Sometimes when I get bad road rage, I'll say I'll eat someone's face. I don't plan to yeah, do no, it. Yeah, no, but... right, 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 no. But, but, you know, especially, I mean, pedophilia specifically on the internet lately... As as it has always been, but it, it seems to I mean, be... I mean, you know, I get it. I mean, it's not I like I'm it. like, yay, it. pedophiles. No, nobody... So, obviously, nobody defends pedophiles, right? Not, nor do I. I'll be clear about that. So, it's not, you know, it's not something... But the thing is, I do get... S- the virulence of certain statements bothers me in terms of, like the extremity like things that we would consider unacceptable to say about other groups people say about these groups right well that, yeah it, that's what's so fascinating about the movie and the case is it it frames it in a way where it's like initially well we just want to kill child molesters and you think right. well that's wrong obviously but right. i can sort of see where you're coming from yeah, but well, very the thing... slowly that sort of gets peeled back, and you realize, oh, this is just an excuse for you to kill people because pretty soon 
he's killing Jamie's friend because he was addicted to heroin. He's like, well, he was a junkie. And then he's killing a special needs guy. Like, well, he's not going to contribute to society. And it becomes like, where is the line? Well, so the thing is, is that's where this film gets super political for me because I felt as though... So, like, in contrast to certain other serial killer movies I've seen, first off, John Bunting is charismatic. He's not just... A family man. He's a good family man, but he's also like he's a, an active an, member of the community. He goes yeah. to church. He's able he, to like. So he seems he, like a good stepfather. Yeah, he is a good stepfather I mean, for he a is time when he's not until he isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it almost he almost felt more similar to a cult leader for me than a yes, like, yes, I could see that, and even. These these analogies get very explicit in another conversation later in the film. But to me, this film is almost about a sort of fascism written on a small scale in yeah. terms of he's this figure who's an intensely charismatic leader figure who everybody is drawn to. Yeah, he's almost and, like a de facto leader, like a dictator. Yeah, and he's he basically his anxieties, which are mostly sexual anxieties about um not just pedophiles but just gay people in general. He doesn't seem to draw a distinction between gay people or pedophiles. Which is interesting too cuz he hangs out with a guy who wears well, a dress. Yeah. I think he's keeping that guy as like a a sort of contact to figure I think out that that is probably it i think because because there is a scene where they show all this you know the charlie from always sunny style red string yeah but it yeah. leads from this one picture of this guy who's a cross-dresser who's gay or maybe more um like leading out to all of these these uh, figures that figures, get yeah. talked about you know uh you know, a nasty sadist who likes boys under 16, a guy who, you know, watches at the park, you know, you know, all of these figures. Like, so it's interesting. Tiny Frog Thompson, which I was like, don't put Thompsons. In yeah. There. Right. I know there are probably terrible child molesting Thompsons, but don't. Yeah. Please don't. don't. Yeah. But the thing is, so it's interesting because um, these, so John Bunting interestingly enough as a child was sexually abused himself i mean you know that's sort of the that was sort of the unspoken thing i thought of yes yeah and it also adds context to that scene of jamie being abused and and suggests maybe reasons why john seems to understand him and connect with him but he was known john bunting um in real life the real life guy as well as the movie guy um, for his really virulent hatred of gay people and uh, of of pedophiles, but you know, he you know he yeah he I think calls... his um, his trauma from being sexually assaulted. I mean that happens, you know. It's yeah. like I yeah. get it. It's like if you were forced to have sex with a man and you're not gay, then the rest of your life you're thinking, "Am I gay?" gay? Yeah. No, like and. You know, you see it also with, like, you know, the turf community, you know, anti-trans people. Um, right. People who were sexually abused have this gut bioessentialist reaction that can lead to transphobia or to homophobia in this case. But, you know, it's very, um, it's understandable as a psychological response. But I find it, you know, I th- I honestly, it's a very different film, but, like, 
I thought of this uh, film from the 70s called The Conformist, which is about a guy who was sexually abused as a child who grows up to be a fascist, basically, like uh, like one of the flunkies from Mussolini. And how this sort of sexual anxiety or abuse can create a hatred of weakness or perceived weakness of gender deviance, of femininity. And you see all of that with John Bunting, who's constantly positioning the degenerate forces of homosexuality, pedophilia, and drug abuse against, He you sort know, of reminds me of the classic homophobic character, where yeah, yeah. they seem like they're protesting way too much. They're always like, yeah. I like pussy, I love steak and yeah. beer, and I love pussy, I am a man. Well, and he's you're always also thinking like... like the only reasons you would be like this are because a you're actually gay or you're just or b you've been you know you're in, you're you're insecure and in your you're insecure or c you've been molested yeah yeah and and the thing is i mean it's like so uh, i mean uh, I, he's uh, the interesting thing is that so much of this movie takes place at like a dinner table or where people are eating right like yeah it's in the home it's we in talk, someone's house we talked about angst and uh the killing of a sacred deer this movie has some pretty gross eating scenes as well where they're just amplifying the sort of smacking and like chewing noises but it, it oh, there's one scene in particular where he visits this overweight another overweight woman yeah. And he's he's just eating and John Bunting's eating an egg salad sandwich while she's stripping. And yeah. it's just like there's like food in his beard and like on his shirt and yeah, for it's some weird. reason it just turned my stomach. Yeah, no, it's gross, but I mean I also just really don't like egg salad, so yeah. from the beginning I was like, no. <laughs> but the thing is, it's I, I think about like the centrality of that, right? Where it's like it is very clearly intentional that so many There's scenes... There's a lot of eggs, by the way. Yeah, which is... That's interesting, too. Like, birth or becoming, all of these all of these interesting egg well, concepts. Well, I think of it almost specifically as, you know, an egg is... It was to be a baby chicken, and you're right. destroying it. Yeah. And you're consuming it. Yeah, yeah. And that's much what, what happens to Jamie in this film. Yeah, um, he gets fucking swallowed up, man. Jamie is such a tragic figure because he, so I do want to mention the this sense. progression. So he gets, you know, he gets molested by the neighbor. John Bunting shows up and basically there's some, I hesitate to say lighthearted because it's still sort of a hate crime, but, you know, yeah. they get ice cream and they write like fag on the on the neighbor's windows and throw yeah. ice cream. And I'm like, okay, that's, I mean, not great, but. Mm. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, at the start, basically one of John's functions in the family is to sort of get back at the guy across the street. Yeah. Right? It's like some like kind of petty revenge stuff at first. And you're sort of like, I mean, that's lame, but okay. You know, like he, he kills well, some kangaroos and puts their feet into a bucket and makes this weird kangaroo chum and then tosses it at the yeah. neighbor's couch and on his on his doorstep. Right, yeah. And the thing is, this is where I feel that it's it's really you were talking about complicity earlier, right? 
Yeah. And it feels like, at least at the start of the film, the, uh, the movie's inviting you to take his side in this case. Because it's, uh, th- I think the challenging part of the film is, uh, for the viewer, is that would I accept these things? And obviously the answer is no, right? But like, Well, I mean, I'm honest enough to say with the ice cream and maybe the kangaroo stuff, I probably would. Right, right, right. Yeah, vandalizing somebody's home or whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, a, another thing, though, is that a, a thing that people are very quick to gloss over because they're not in that situation. Yeah. It's a literal murderer. Yeah. So when you turn down a literal murderer, there's that fear that you can't replicate from someone who is not a literal yeah. murderer. <laughs> right, in right. In that I could die very easily. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, you can't... But see, to me, again, that parallels the mentality of cults and of fascism where... Well, that's what they do. It's like from the... I told you, I forget. I think I might have been off air. Um, right. This is like... This is like how you make a murderer. This is like right. the instructions right. on how to make a murderer. It's right. like you start with trauma... Right, you bring right, right, in right, right. a parental figure that right. shows love and then uh, retracts love if violence is not committed. Right. You slowly get him desensitized to violence. You start with chopping right. up a kangaroo in front of him. Yeah, it's and then and you're it, you know like ultimately oh my God, the you're dog. Yes. yeah you're you're knee deep in guts and then you're like oh shit <laughs> like how did I get here and but then the- slowly you work them up to like do this type of violence now we'll do this type of violence right 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 and the thing is i mean that's how making a murderer works and that's also how fascism works it's how how milit how the military right you, you slowly start get them involved yeah. and then once they're in they're in too deep and there's no real good way out yeah you start with these small things where like okay it's okay to write fag on someone's window it's okay to to jump dump blood on their couch or whatever it's okay to rough them up and that's how show that the neighbor moves and so as the audience you're sort of triumphant in that moment you're like well good yeah you know fuck you move away asshole and you're sort of glad right 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 but you see that so you see how that seduction works on jamie and how it it works on you at least for a time if if you're not familiar with so i wasn't familiar with the snowtown murders i wasn't either and i think it's i think it actually led to my enjoyment of the film yeah well enjoyment is a weird word with snowtown but appreciation appreciation yes because uh, i can tell you You've watched this film now once. Imagine a year from now, you're like, I'm going to watch this again. Yeah, I am. Is there any real, like, yay? Like, no, let's I do mean, this. so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting in that sense. And um, the way that it, I mean, it, it just reminds me of how the, the, the viewer is forced into a complicitous situation with the killers, not just through, um, you know, identification with Jamie, but also like, you know, for a time, it seems like John is what this family needs. I mean, yeah, he's like a strong father. He's compassionate, but, you you know, know. he watches TV with the kids. He tells jokes. He puts them to bed at night. He makes dinner, you know, and he's an upstanding member of the community. He's a churchgoer. 
and he's 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 strong and stable and you know it, it's very much this again you know that figure could be that figures everywhere not just in the sphere of I the mean, family i mean it does remind me going back to jack ketchum cuz i think he does this a lot um mm-hmm. there's a film called the woman that lucky right. McKee did right which by the way gave me a panic attack at the end of it but oh wow I saw it in theater, but it's pretty, it, it's another, it's a similar character. He's just American, but he's a lawyer. He's someone that everybody knows. He's charismatic. It's just behind closed doors. He's like molesting his daughter and like raping right. his wife and doing all this terrible shit. Right, right, right. And it's like, you know, there's something almost that, that scene with the ice cream and rating fag on the window. It's, there's something almost like sort of satirical or parodic about it to me and that it's like this wholesome vision of family life where like, oh, let's go write fag on the neighbor's window. <laughs> let's go like... I mean, it is. The time period's also important because, you yeah. know, it is the mid to... It goes early to late 90s. I can tell you, not a tolerant time. Yeah, no, of course. But it, to me, it's it's part of the film's project to show the violence under underlying like suburban life in general and family life it it wisely shows you this isn't from nowhere like he talks to people that will just constantly go i'd stab him in the head yeah and he talks and he he has that you know this is the most of the community it's not just a select group of people this is like a room full of seemingly normal suburbanites being like i'd fucking skin his dick and you you know again like you you Obviously, so like the pedophile is the extreme, which, but you also hear, you hear people, maybe not on this level, but people say things about various minorities or groups that are perceived undesirable. Like I, the things I hear people say, like we have a homeless problem in New York City right now. Right. And the, the things you hear people say about the homeless is like, you know, Oh, I just want them out of here. Like I just want them off the streets, right? People and you say know, really terrible stuff about homeless people. Yeah. And generally, it's the subtext is I wish they would just die. Yeah, yeah, or or disappear, or just you know. And and if 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 it's John like, Bunting, I want them to be somewhere else, and like yeah. thinking of them not like a human being, but as an object. Yeah, it's sort like, of like I, let's move this ugly table out of the city. Yeah, again. This is an extreme comparison to make. Uh, you know, you shouldn't really make these comparisons lightly. But like, how many Germans really were thinking of the Holocaust when they said, "I just don't want Jews around me"? You know, like how many people were really thinking like extermination camps? You know, not many of them. No, I mean, I mean some it, of it's them. similar. Maybe not the same, but I, I think it is reminiscent. The thing that Snowtown does is like this small kitchen neighborhood watch gathering is almost like a microcosm of yeah. the country as a whole and their yeah. attitudes. So it's like right. instead of a whole country's view, you get this small community's yeah. view, which sort of mirrors most likely what I assume a lot of the rest of the Australia is feeling like. And, and I mean, and it is like. I think yeah. it's it's. It's hateful, but it's more of a, like, just get them out of here hateful. It's not a, you should kill them and put them in buckets hateful. Right, right, right. But ultimately, that, even the innocuous form of hate, all it takes is for one guy to be liked enough and charismatic enough to turn the other way, and then... 
then he's you like wind the up guy that takes it all completely literally yeah no yeah yeah but the when thing was like i cut his eyes out he's like would you that might be a good idea no but the thing is it's important because like john says later in the film you know a lot of people just simply don't notice that people are going missing and you know if if john bunting were in new york city and he were killing homeless people oh no how many notice how many people would turn the other way? Most it's the same people. reason that a lot of serial killers get away with what they do for a very long time with prostitutes yeah. or homeless people, and then they only get caught once they go after people that are not prostitutes or yeah. not they, homeless. They prey on communities that are, or groups, as, you know, persecuted or marginalized or regarded with disdain. Um, sort of on the fringe of society, and yeah, yeah, a lot of people would like to think of them like not think of them as all at all as if they were invisible it'd be easier everybody i mean almost everybody has at least one group they feel about like that even liberal again the virulence with people which with which which people talk about like pedophiles like white trash i should stop using white trash because that's sort of slurry but i don't mind poor white people but i'll admit you know the ones that are like Trumpy, chest thumpy, like I, we right. shouldn't have blacks and gays, and it's hard for you know. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, you should go away. Right. Yeah. And the hard part of, you know, morality and political activism, and you know, for me, the principle is that you have to extend certain dignities even to the people you find most despicable. Like yeah. even no, you know, it's even a basic murderers. human right, like. Yeah. Like, do I think that white supremacists sh- should probably die? Yes. Would Would I tell people to kill them? No. No. Yeah. Like, well, even I might do be I think hyperbolic about it, but ultimately, I don't think murder is right. Yeah, I don't. I don't support like the death penalty, for example. Even in the most extreme. Well, even I mean, I don't support it because usually they end up sitting for thirty years anyway. Yeah, and they're often innocent or just convicted because they're black or something you know all of these but i mean just from a strictly logical like they half of them don't end up dying for like two decades so yeah but i like i don't think we should like the state should just have the power to kill people like even on just a moral level like john bunting the most uh, worst known serial killer in australia I think he's a despicable piece of shit and he can rot in hell, but I don't think he should be executed because I just simply, because once you start saying for me, I know a slippery slope argument is a risky one, but once you start making exceptions to those rules, like, you know, somebody else is going to make an even worse exception and then you're just going to mess up. But anyway, we should get back to, yeah, to so Snowtown anyway, I've been trying to, I, we keep going off on these interesting tangents, but so basically, Jamie, we see him, it's heavily implied he gets molested the first time. Right. And then we're introduced to his older brother. Yeah, who, Troy. Troy, who one day is like wrestling him and it starts, it's a very genius scene. It starts yeah. in a way that I've seen my friends and like their older brothers wrestling like this. They're just like, right. oh, you pussy, come on, let's fight and sort of slap fighting and wrestling. And he gets him on the ground, and you think, okay. And then he starts holding him down, you're like, well, that's not cool. Yeah. And then he takes off his pants, and you're like, oh, no, please don't. And he proceeds to molest 
His, yeah, well, that's, rape. His bro- that's like biological brother, right? Yeah, his brother. Okay, yeah. yeah. So now we're now not only has Jamie been molested once by the neighbor, now he's being molested by his older brother. Yeah, and in an it, incestuous it, molestation. Yeah, and it could have happened before. I think that is implied that it. You know, I guess this that's might... true. Yeah, it is implied that that and this that could might have happened. Be, that might be sort of the unspoken uh, thing as to why Jamie is just. Like he doesn't such... seem to fight back when the neighbors like let's take naked pictures of you let's put it that yeah. way no yeah no and i again, mean i don't know what you you know it's shitty to say he should have fought him and punched him but like but that's why sort would of what you the say film that? gets into is like yeah it's I mean, not much better no i mean but the thing is it's like i mean why to me it's so perplexing especially when talking about sexual abuse because you know it's different with violence, like when you're being asked to perpetrate violence. But, you know, if you're a teen or something and, and an adult pressures you into certain things, I mean, you can say no sometimes, but like, what is he supposed to do with his brother, right? Who raped him? Tell his mom, you know, call the police. Like, he could do these things. But it doesn't seem to help in this world. No, I mean, we've and, already seen that the neighbor ends up going to jail for a day and then he's out. And even if it would help, you know, it it doesn't... It, it It's not going to solve his, his pain. And uh, the ultimate solution that he does arrive at, I would argue, also doesn't solve his pain. <laughs> but um, No, but I know. don't even know that he wanted that. Yeah, no, he didn't want... Well, yeah, but we'll get into that We'll later. get to it. So, but, so, these are... It's a brutal yeah, scene. So, this is the early days of the film. This is, like, I think the first half an hour, right? Yeah, half an hour, like, 45 minutes at the most. But there's is a lot. We're introducing I mean, John Bunting, him being this good parental figure, because obviously we've established his dad and his mom are divorced, so he doesn't see his dad that much. Yeah. And his dad seems like a decent enough guy. He's just not around. He, I think he has a separate kid, too. Yeah, he has a stepbrother who oh, step is brother, the... yes. And and then we show him getting just, like, molested over and over. So this is, like, I see why people bail on this movie, because I, I don't, I wouldn't agree with it. And I've seen, I've probably it's seen... It's not a fun watch. ...harsher things, but in terms of that, I mean, right off the bat, we're getting child sexual abuse, pedophilia, rape, incest, these various... Um, you know, all of those topics people love to watch in the movies. <laughs> Here's the thing about serial killer films, and I'm guilty of this as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they go to a serial killer film, what they actually want, it's unspoken, it's often, what they actually want is Dracula. They want a gothic tale of right. a larger-than-life person who's like the real-life boogeyman who swoops in, there's a heavy sexual component, but heteronormative sexuality, and or, you know, if it's homosexual, then, you know, there's also a heavy sexual, but like like lust, like the vampire, you know? They want that. What a lot of people, and, you know, then you get the true crime people that do want the actual case. Right, right, right. This This film is more sort of... It's more of like a a true crime drama. It felt really just like a a, a drama or like a docu drama to me. Yeah. But like I didn't even keep in mind that it was a true story particularly. It's just it feels like a 
it's a film it's not you know it's i mean the thing is i mean so obviously with that heavy stylized thing you're you're talking about um that's a valid reason you know to watch movies right right? i was gonna say i'm guilty of that as well you know sometimes i like that sort of like yeah it's sort of like you know like drive it's all about the glamour and the fun it's not really you know it's sad and melancholy right I mean, it's but, sort of like hannibal right like yeah, hannibal, or hannibal is a yeah. great show but no one's arguing that hannibal is realistic right 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 you watch it for you know he's basically it, dracula it's it those those films and shows foreground ultimately they do foreground the pleasure principle now the source of pleasure might be weird in terms of you're watching you know stylized depictions of murder but it is still about your enjoyment like it is about fun in a way um whereas you know i mean i would argue someone like thomas harris was he is a gothic writer and he was smart Mm -hmm. enough to understand in in a less um a less problematic way Mm -hmm. this sounds obviously real as well yeah. Um, if we have this charismatic figure and it's like really, really rude people, then the audience knowing it is fake will be like, yay, kill the rude people. Right, 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 right. And right. there is an enjoyment and there is a complicity. This Snowtown, you know, not even putting aside that it's based on a real case, this is getting into the more like ultra realistic version of it where it's like, hey, a kid that got molested a bunch of times who has a new father figure who's being like, kill people or I'll no longer love you. I mean, that's <laughs> the film. It's heavy. Um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, so it's, I guess we should keep going. Uh, but there's a, there's a really remarkable scene I wanted to talk about where um, I think it's, it's still around this point, but um, it's basically uh, John, John Bunting, Barry and Jamie at the sort of like I guess it's a restaurant you don't get much of a sense of space in this film it's sort of like you're you're just sort of shuffling from interior to interior you know like yeah you don't always get a sense of where they are it's just sort of this endless succession of rooms and like dark dingy location it's really good in that way well part of it is they don't show with with maybe the exception of at the end they don't show a lot of driving. Right, no. It's There's like, no we're at outdoors. this place, now we're at this place. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's um, basically Barry, the, the cross-dresser, is reeling off like this list of homosexuals and pedophiles, right, that he... Tiny you know, the... Is it Tiny the Frog Thompson? Yeah, Tony, I think. Tony mm. the Frog Thompson. Who, you know, sodomizes boys on like his his, you know bedroom floor and you know the the people who like hand out you know candy to kids while jacking off and you know all of these like perverts you know obviously i was a bit i was a bit sad to learn there was a thompson Thompson. they kept emphasizing how bad he was too and i was like let's keep moving come on Yeah, yeah and at the same time which is super interesting you have this guy at the back of the room not a character we ever see again i believe but no, he's there's a an... lot of random guy and he's just there and then he's gone yeah yeah that's and i like that it gives it a strange almost Is this dreamlike. the soldier yeah it's the soldier yeah. it's a soldier who has clearly 
suffered from some form of PTSD, and he's just numbly reciting his crimes to no, like, not his crimes. Well, we could debate about that word crime, but he was the things he sanctioned. But yes, yeah, people, the murders he was forced to commit by the right. government, <laughs> um, and he's just sort of like listing off the details in the background of the scene he's not like he's just talking over them he's not really talking and they to don't them. even show who he's talking to i i think he's just talking to is himself. He just talking to himself he might be i think it's like a the suggestion is that he's dazed or ptsd or shock or something but he's just sort of like numbly just reciting these details and i find that juxtaposition See, I'm going to slip up with the word juxtaposition of that with the listing of pedophiles and homosexuals that they're planning to kill. Um, very fascinating um, because it first off, it it does gesture at like a broader world of, of violence outside yeah. of this town. But also like, you know, later. John says at one another one of the town hall or watchman meetings or whatever, he says, you know, well, we have Anzac Day, right? Where, um, uh, you know, they celebrate the soldiers who go to war for Australia, right? And um, he says, you know, so what's the difference between me killing a pink one? You know, you know what a pink one is versus... Um, is that like a slur for a... Yeah, a homosexual or That's a gay person. Or, you know, it's like queer is what it means, yeah. basically. What's the difference between me killing a pink one and someone in the army killing a yellow? That's a racist term for Asian right, person, yeah. obviously. You know, where's my parade is what he says, you know, as a joke, right? So it's like, but so now some people write that scene off as empty rhetoric, right? Like he's just like trying to justify his crimes, right? But to yeah. me... I do think that's very interesting because it does call back to this scene in a way. I wanted to know what you made of that, you know, that link that the film is maybe suggesting. I think it gets into, I think what the film does really well is it gets into the, the subtle ways that violence permeates a culture. Right. And, you know, obviously when there's a serial killer, people are fascinated by it because of the morbidity of it and because of the loss of life and the tragedy of it. Right. But we don't often talk about the behind-the-scenes violence that might inform someone. Right, right, You know, right, right. we don't talk about, for instance, the you know, enlisting in the army where you're legally allowed to kill brown people. Right, or right, Or whatever right. country we... Whatever country we pretend we have some issue with so we can steal their resources yeah um yeah. and i do think it's important that they bring up the military a couple of times because yeah you know, we're not a pacifist most societies are not pacifist societies they have armies they go to war right i mean the last one I think was justified was probably WW2, but even that, there's some trickery. There's some trickery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, it was also, you know, we then got to reshape half of the world in our image and everything. So it wasn't totally pure reasons, but... Right, I mean, and we get into overkill where it's like, you know, the Japanese bomb us and kill X 
So we create one of the most devastating weapons of all time and the, murder the a whole one. city. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, I find it interesting in terms of like, you know, John in that scene is proposing that his violence is just as socially acceptable as the violence we accept and from honestly, soldiers. And honestly, the sad thing is, I bet there's a lot of people that agree with that. Yeah, like, who cares about killing pedophiles? Like, you can kill pedophiles, you know, or homeless people, if, if that's the modern, you know, another reference. But, you know, I mean, and the thing is, that's how he thinks of his work. I don't believe he's just like, you know, somebody said, oh, he doesn't buy that. But I think he I does think he does. That. I think he absolutely does. Because if you see who he is as a man, you know, he is a... It's tricky because he is a good, he can be a good dad. He can be a loving, nurturing father. He feels, he has reasons, which is the most unsettling thing, maybe. Yeah, because in a way, this is him protecting Jamie. Like, so we'll get, you know, we should probably um, keep the, the plot, you know, description going. Yeah. Oh, but there was one other thing. I also just wanted to say that. Uh, just about that soldier at the cafe, um, you know, he's he's a young guy, right? And he's yeah. talking about how he was instructed to kill people, right? And that's much like Jamie, you know? Yeah, like, no, that's true. It's It's like he's, you know, it was just this guy that got roped into the army, and then he was like, you shoot them in the face, that's what you do, and then you shoot them in the legs or whatever. And it's like... It That's... shows the the trauma and the desensitization that yeah. allows someone to become a perfect killing machine. Yeah, whether it's a soldier or in this case, you know, what happens to Jamie. As what a, happens as to a... Jamie, yeah. So I think the next important scene that yeah. I can think of is, you know, um, John invites Jamie over because Jamie's like, can I sleep over or something? So yeah. yeah, of course. Oh, and oof, eating, this scene. They're eating a green curry. Mm-hmm. And just sort of innocuous, like, why is it called a green curry? Oh, because it's green, mate, you know? like Yeah. Sort yeah. of, like, jokey stuff. Yeah, banal dialogue. Banal, and this is, well, a lot of the effect the film has, it'll do this. Yeah. It'll have really, frankly, almost boring stuff, and then, just out just... of nowhere, it's like, uh, John asks, so do you like getting fucked? Yeah. And Jamie sort of taking it back, and eventually he goes, No. He goes, then why do you let your older brother fuck you? Yeah. And it's, he, uh... he leaves the room, and it's... I think this is what reminded me of Texas Chainsaw as well. The framing, where it's like you'll... The camera is static. Right. And a character will leave and then come back with a weapon. Right. That's right, very right. Texas Chainsaw. But anyway, he yeah. comes back with a... Uh, with a gun. And he mm-hmm. goes, shoot the dog. And Jamie is obviously very hesitant, and he goes, shoot the dog. And he goes, he's, you can see him, no. like, I don't want to do that. I don't, why would you? He goes, it's fine, it's my dog. I don't care, kill the dog. And he just pressures him, pressures he him. He keeps and pushing he... him, and finally Jamie shoots the dog, and you hear the dog get hit. And John, you know, it's like all off frame, but John goes into the kitchen where you assume the dog has kind of dragged itself and he goes, dog's mm-hmm. not dead. You got to kill the dog. And, and then he's he... just like crying and shaking and he goes, give me it. And he takes the gun and he kills his own dog. Yeah. And then what I think is very important is the next scene is this new, what I took to be a new German Shepherd. 
Yeah. That he got, that he's playing with, and, you know, just sort of this, like, idealized sort of, like, backyard fun yeah. day off with his new dog. Although there is an unsettling quality to that, too, because there's this tape recorder playing, I believe, right? And yeah. this becomes an, a conspicuous symbol, too, in that um, it's this guy, I think it's Barry's brother, yeah, where he's talking about how he's he's had to leave, right? Because, you know, uh, he needs to um, go to upstate or something you know all of these various just just saying that he has to leave and it's it's lit in this sort of cold blue light and that score is going it's great but it has a it's the first of several sinister and it, it does come back and when it when you finally realize what's going on it is so chilling yeah i find the the tape recorder thing to be one of the most upsetting and frightening aspects of this entire film i don't know if it's probably true to what happened in real life as well but um i find the tape recorder stuff so unsettling and it's such like very unsettling um yeah um, but i think the importance of having the dog killing scene and then the next scene he's got a new dog is to show mm-hmm. there is a part of john that i think is a sociopath yeah yeah, yeah. and i think he views like uh, this is my dog. I can kill my dog and get a new dog. This is my wife right. or my right. girlfriend. I can hurt my girlfriend. Ultimately, I can just get a new girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is how it, he views people. And people objectifying. Are, yeah, people are to an extent objects. I think he's not a true sociopath because he he does seem to feel something for Jamie. Something, but it's it's sort of like in the same way that he feels for a dog in that. It's that's that, true, though. Yeah, there is that sort of ownership of like. In terms I of love that, you and if you will do the things I ask you to do, you you love it because it it obeys you and it, because it, you know, it 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 has like this sort of. There's it's a sort of transactional love in a sense. Yeah, and it is going back to the cult leader thing. It is, um, it's it's classic programming. It's yeah, yeah. I will show you love. I will get you to love me. Then I will introduce violence. Then I will introduce demands that I have. If you yeah. do not go along with my demands, I will you know, hurt you. take love away and I will yeah. hurt you. Yeah. If um, you do what I say, I will add more love. Yeah. It's it's very, you know, until the point where there doesn't seem to be any love. <laughs> Ultimately, it's just that you're now, now you're just doing it. By the yeah. end of the film, and, it isn't um, as tender so anymore. I think uh, you know, again, it's hard to remember exactly scene to scene, but right. I believe the next big thing I remember is one day, sort of vague about where Jamie's been, but he gets he gets driven home, and before this, we get these scenes of a bathtub covered in blood. Yeah, and he and opens pillows. the door, and his mother just screams at him, "Go!" Yeah, and I and- think. Now that I've seen the film twice, I'm pretty sure that's implying there was a murder. I mean, obviously. And does she know is the question. Well, at the end of the film, they say that she got charged with being an accomplice to one murder, the Ray murder, who I think was the neighbor. Yeah. So what I took it as, now having seen this film twice, is that the in-between scene was John brought 
Ray back and was like, I'm going to kill him. Mm -hmm. You need to help me. And that she did. And that's why from this moment on, on top of, I think she's getting abused by John, but right. the main reason she seems to fall apart from this moment on is because just like Jamie, she's had to, you know, help someone with a murder. 